What would you do if it was a challenge to live or like what are the challenges to life? The phrase failure to thrive uh, describes a child, very, very young, who uh, lacks an ability to do, to like live, right? To, to thrive, to put on weight. That's why when we have little babies, we like big babies. We like fat babies because fat babies are healthy babies, right? Low birth weight, failure to thrive, they're linked. Oddly enough, where you're born and the color of your skin can influence how well you survive, how well you live. Article by David Brooks links these two ideas, okay? Drawing on research that age and education. So that say that you are a uh, individual who never graduated from high school, there's like, I don't know, like a 60% chance that you'll make it to like uh, age 65. But say that you're a white male and you have more than 12 years of education, so you graduated from high school, maybe even a little bit further, then there's a pretty good chance, like 90-some percent, I can't remember the exact statistics, but you know, statistics really don't matter, right? Because they're all made up. <laughs> what would you do, and what are the challenges to life? Breathing underwater with scuba gear, no problem. But on your own, unless you have fins and gills, it's a challenge to life. Isaac Wright is a young man, he an uh, individual who fresh out of high school, enlisted in the United States Army, grew up in Cincinnati. He uh, grew up in a conservative Baptist home, and uh, because he was a phenomenal student, he really got the choice of where he wanted to be, and he signed up for the Special Forces. And within the Special Forces, paratrooper, all of that kind of stuff, he specifically was uh, afforded the opportunity to choose, in addition to his other responsibilities, the speciality that he wanted to be a part of. And so he chose to be a chaplain's assistant, ministering to the spiritual needs of the men in his battalion, in his brigade, okay? He's in Iraq, some crazy things happen, and uh, he has to meet the needs, the spiritual needs of guys. And a couple of the individuals under his care take their own life, tragically, and also with the horrors of war, he finds himself in this situation where he's experiencing PTSD, he does a paratrooper training jump, he jumps out of the plane, lands, kind of messes up his ankle, and is medically discharged. And now he's wandering in life. What to do next? And so he starts to climb. Literally, starts to climb, okay? Climbs buildings, climbs bridges, climbs towers, okay? And, and you can actually see his work at, his Instagram handle is at driftershoots. Um, and, and, and these pictures that he takes, and what he's found is that his PTSD is quelled, okay, is, is, is limited, is, is handled, not through medication, but through climbing. The only problem is the place that he wants to climb, he's often trespassing. And so the government, local authorities don't have a good sense of humor. In fact, once, Mr. Wright, who is black and has two members of his extended family that were killed by police officers, he, he edged out of a car because his car was surrounded by law enforcement, helicopter overhead. He's like, what did I do, you know? I, I'm an army dishonorably charged vet, right? And, and they're like, well, we found your sticker at Drifter Shoots on the top of this Cincinnati building and we traced you and we don't know what you're gonna do. He's like, I'm just climbing. And so he was offered a deal. We'll let you out of jail, free, no problem, but you gotta promise not to climb again. You gotta go to therapy and you gotta take drugs. He's like, what are you doing, are you crazy? That's the dumbest thing for me to do. What would you do when life gets challenging? What would you do 
to live. Hebrews verse 1, chapter 2, page 1001. Just for the fun of it, even if you've never held a Bible ever in your life, I mean, just for the fun of it, reach forward and grab this little blue thing and go like, ah, it's right in front of you, right there. Just look down. Just look, it's right. Yeah, yeah, just right. You're not going to do it, are you? Nope. Okay, that's fine. No problem. If you don't want to do it, it's fine. It's just like the Word of God. It's not going to bite. Well, maybe not a lot. I got this cup on the way in. Don't be a Karen. I love that. I'm just going to put it right there. I won't throw it out. Page 1001. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable and any transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Getting this correct. The author of Hebrews says, please, I I want your attention right here. How hard is that for us? To pay attention to the most important things in life. The writer of Hebrews, really, no, 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 I, I know you think you're paying attention, but really, I want you to pay attention. No, 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 I, I know you think you've got it all figured out. I mean, in essence, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying the writer of Hebrews is saying this to you. I'm not claiming an authority over your life. I'm saying the words inside this book have authority over our lives. And the author writes, really, no, no, pay attention. No, pay close attention. Right here. And this is this concept, right, that we've already been um, wrestling with, introducing our minds to, that will be elaborated further upon as Hebrews continues. Because of the status of Jesus Christ. Remember last week we ended three dots in the shape of the triangle? The most important therefore that we'll encounter. That's where we start this week. That therefore we must pay closer attention. That because of the status of Jesus Christ, not just as a baby, okay, not just as a table-flipping rabbi, but, but as the Son of God, as the eternally existent, as the only begotten, as the creator because of the status of Jesus Christ, what he did, who he is and continues to be, we need to get locked into that reality. I recently started a new devotional um, called The Imitation of Christ, a gentleman by the name of, I think, Thomas Kempis, okay? He lived, I don't know, 1300s. Can someone help me with that one? 1300s, 1400s? Man, this is quite a little power-packed devotional. Imitation of Christ. Grab it. They're, they're little tiny things that you can read in like three, four minutes. But, but, but it's a book that focuses us, focuses the reader 
on the status of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did and how that should influence how it should influence our lives. And then the author of Hebrews goes back, right, and says this message first was made known by the angels, the messengers of God, letting, letting people know through the voice box of God, letting people know. Just think about the Old Testament, the writer says. Look at how the Old Testament plays out. Look at about how, how people who follow God end up in a good spot and how people who don't follow God end up dead. I mean, just look at how it lays out. I mean, it's pretty stark. The contrast is visible. And the author says, we want to get this correct. We want your full attention right here, right now. For since the message declared by the angels, the messengers of God, proved to be reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect? These three words, right? Drift, transgression, transgression, and neglect. I don't think that author of Hebrews had the idea of fishing in mind when he wrote the book, okay? But I think most of us who have ever been in a boat that has been anchored have experienced this, this thing called drift, right? Okay? And, and you start out in the spot that you want to be anchored at, right? And, and, and you're like, this is the spot, right? And you're like paying attention to whatever else is doing, and all of you're like, are we moving a little bit? Have you ever had that conversation? Maybe I'm the only one. Are we moving a little bit? Okay, fast-moving current, maybe in a river. Are we moving a little bit? And it's imperceptible, right? It's not like, because if you're going 100 miles an hour, you're like, yeah, you're moving. But, but when you're drifting, when you've lost your point of anchor, you're like, I, I, I think we're moving, but I'm not sure that we're moving. And the idea here is this, is this subtle, this subtle deviation, this, this subtle movement, this reality that at one point in time anchored in who God is, and, and now there's just this subtle overtime deviation, this, this drifting away, this, this movement away from the point in which we initially anchored. The second, transgression, disobedience. This one's an easy one to understand, right? Okay, transgression is just doing something that's wrong. A couple weeks ago, actually uh, last week, uh, a friend of mine um, who came up to me, we were working out together, he says to me, he's like, hey, did anyone come up to you after last Sunday and ask for forgiveness? I thought that was an interesting question at the, end of a grow, at the beginning of a grow class, and I said, I said, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I don't think so. He's like, well, an interesting happened, thing happened the other Sunday morning. He's like, I was uh, pulled the guy over. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And I walked up to the gentleman's car and rolled down the window, and, and the gentleman said, I, I don't suppose it would do any good if I told you where I was going. And my friend said, well, where were you going? The guy's like, I was going to church. <laughs> my friend said, well, what church were you going to? My friend said, I'm going to Timberwood Church. And so my friend said, well, do you know John Just? You know John Just? My friend who's in law enforcement said, yes, I know John Just. Here's the deal. You go up to John Just after the service, and you ask for forgiveness. I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened, but I could be wrong, okay? So I want to leave space in this brain, right? 
transgression, we get it, okay? Transgression is when you do the thing that you're not supposed to do. Transgression is when you are afforded an opportunity to ask for forgiveness and you don't. I don't know, maybe if you're here this morning, you ought to figure this one out. (laughs) Do we take seriously, right, these ideas of transgression and disobedience? And I know we could, we, we, we could go after the, like, the, the person who drives five miles over the speed limit. I do. That's transgression. Yes, I completely agree. And if God's convicting you that you shouldn't drive that fast, then slow down. We said this before, five miles an hour, ten miles an hour from here to Baxter isn't going to get you there but 30 seconds quicker. Now, over a 20-hour trip, yeah, you'll get there an hour and a half quicker, so I think there's... transgression, like drift, often starts small and then builds. Very few people wake up in the midst of a healthy marriage and decide, you know, today I'm going to sleep with someone who isn't my spouse. The changes are incremental. They're subtle. They're, They're slow, right? Transgression, disobedience, right? We, our brains have this trick, right? We think, by virtue of what our brain tells us, that we're not engaging in transgression. And our brains have this amazing capacity to act in our best interest, which can be easily disobedient to what God would have us do. It's so easy to convince ourselves, well, I did nothing wrong. No, we have. And the writer of Hebrews says, guard, guard against this. The third one, neglect. Draft, transgression, neglect. Similar to the first, right? But, but it's, even, it's even more subtle, okay? It's, it, it, it's the lack of maintenance, right? You start off with a sharp axe. You start off with a sharp um, um, mower blade, okay? If, if you have someone who is, is responsible for putting fertilizer on your lawn, they're like, use a sharp mower blade. And you're like, it was sharp at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but it's not the beginning of the year anymore. It's no longer sharp. And a sharp blade cuts the grass better. Okay? So just, the blade's got to be sharp. Okay, the axe should be sharp. The, the, however you want to talk about it, right? It's not engaging in the regular cleaning, not changing the filter, whether it be oil or air in car or home. Neglect is the, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Sure, but did you do anything right? And frequently we can neglect those who are closest to us, our spouses. I I don't know what happened to our marriage. Neglect our relationship with God. It's so easy to stay home. It's so easy to not be in community. It's so easy to not pray. And the author of Hebrews is arguing against drift, he's arguing against transgression, and he's arguing against neglect. And the overarching idea is this casual lack of attention produces a lack of intention. Verse 3, the bracing question, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The the we is key, right? Because we're in this together. 
But both a sense of common connection, okay, we're experiencing things that are common. There's nothing that you or I will experience that is unique in the history of humankind. If someone says, oh, I experienced a new temptation. No, you didn't. Same temptations humankind has experienced throughout the history of humankind. We're not as unique as we think we are. So we're in this together. But there's also a spiritual component to this. Now, I'm not suggesting that my salvation is dependent on you or your salvation is dependent on me. No, our salvation is dependent on the work of Jesus Christ and us following Jesus Christ. But we cannot escape the reality that we are connected. We would not enjoy the relationships we enjoy this room apart from Jesus Christ. And if I don't take this seriously, if I don't take that connectivity seriously, or if you don't take it seriously, it has profound implications for the church, for the body, for the people of God. If you neglect your salvation, if I neglect my salvation, in a spiritual reality, we affect one another and not in a positive way. This idea of what I do in the privacy of my own life, it's fine for being a non-follower of Jesus Christ. But it's not fine when we look at the reality of what the biblical text teaches us. How can we escape if salvation is neglected? Drifting further away, transgressions allowed to multiply, neglect, and ultimately failure. And by failure, I think the author is meaning a challenge to eternal life with Yahweh. Which, when you think about it, assuming you are looking at it from God's perspective, is really the only way to think about it. Verse 4, And while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will, the inauguration of the reality of Jesus Christ relayed to us by the disciples, yeah, without question, reinforced by the activity of God, the wonders of God, the activity, the miracles of God, puts us all in this spot where we're faced with the reality that we're looking at the activity of God all around us. You don't have to look any further than the beauty of the person sitting right next to you, whether you know them or whether you do not know them. They are an image bearer of God, a unique creation. They are a sign. They are a wonder. They are an absolute delight in God's eyes. And so we come back to the question, the verse at the top. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There's an article this last week by Thomas Friedman. He's an economist. Okay, he writes for a newspaper that I promised I would never mention, but I'll probably violate that. It's the New York Times. At any rate, I don't agree with everything that Thomas Friedman writes, okay? But he starts off this one column talking about uh, oil and EV use, and we've kind of been on an EV because, like, Ford is making a pickup truck that'll outperform your Porsche, you know? And so I'm just like, yeah, you know. Now, it costs $100,000, but that's a different discussion. But anyway, this quote, check this out. Since the 1990s, the wisest oil-producing countries 
and companies have regularly reminded themselves of the oil patch adage that the Stone Age did not end because we ran out of stones. <laughs> it ended because we invented bronze tools. And when we did, stone tools became worthless, even though there's plenty of stones all around us. Now, whether or not you want to take that to its literal conclusion with petroleum, just know I'm willing to buy an electric vehicle, but I like my gas fireplace. Is that okay? Can I be in that ground? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the Stone Age doesn't end because there's a lack of stones. The Stone Age ends because there's a better way to do business. And the writer of Hebrews says, exactly. You don't have to live like you're living. You don't have to live adrift. You don't have to live disobedient. You don't have to live apart from God, neglecting what he offers to all of us. All of that is still all around us. The question is, will we embrace a new life Will we embrace a great salvation? Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, just please listen to the Spirit. Are we adrift? Are we disobedient? Have we been neglectful? Let this be a place where we can challenge one another. Let this be a place where we share a common bond in Jesus Christ. Let this be a place where we know we're all screwed up, but we're all forgiven, assuming we've asked for forgiveness. Let us not be a place where we think we've done nothing wrong, but in reality, we've done nothing right. With everything that we have inside, we should yearn for this great salvation made possible by Jesus Christ. I pray it is real in your life today. Amen. Would you please?